Hey, Kev, let's let's follow this trail over here. This looks like there might be something waiting down there. All right. Hey, wait a minute. Do you hear that? Yeah, I thought it was just me. What the heck is that? I don't know what that is. Whoa, do you smell that, too? That's unbelievable. Hey, look. What the? Hey, look, those, those branches are moving over there. What the heck is that? Holy cow, is that what I think it is? Look at that thing. Oh my god. It's a freaking Sasquatch. Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and once again, may I welcome you to this fantastic show we call Bigfoot Terror in the Woods. My name is W.J. Sheehan, author of the series Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters, all of which are available at Amazon in book, paperback book, and ebook formats. And you can get volumes one through six at Audacity, iTunes, and Amazon. And please do take a look at my new series, The Exorcists, Truth and Lies, The Exorcist Diabolica, and The Exorcist Full Moon. All of those are also at Amazon, and one of them, Diabolica, is on Audacity. And be understanding with me, folks, during this COVID time, my sound studio is shut down. Uh, So I was working on getting more of the books on audio, but uh, at this point in time, no can do. So be patient, and I'll be getting back at that as soon as uh, my sound engineer feels comfortable opening up the studio again. Kev, come on in. Hey, how's it going, Bill? All right, bro. You know, uh, Bill Herman... Uh, my uh, sound engineer, most of what he does is band work, studio work. Yeah. And so, you know, he's not uh, too keen on having a a pile of uh, band members coming into his studio uh, uh, stomping about and uh, singing and banging the tambourines uh, when he doesn't know where they've been, they're not going to be in there with their masks on, you understand. Yeah, and mostly uh, singing and pushing all those particles out of their lungs. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's the particles flying out of the lungs we're concerned about. I was wondering why he wouldn't let you in, Bill. Did you bring some creepiness with you last time? <laughs> Maybe well, you, you frightened him? <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know, he's... Uh, He's probably frightened of me to begin with. I'm thinking those. <laughs> I'm thinking those satanic uh, exorcism books might have creeped him out. You know, <laughs> he said to me one day after the session, he looked at me and he said, "You know, you could probably get in trouble writing books like that, <laughs> <laughs> one way or the other." <laughs> Uh, you know, but, uh, well, I don't want to give away any of my, uh, uh, storylines in the book, uh, in the books rather, but let's just say it's like the old, uh, uh, Lone Ranger show. The guy with the white hat always wins. Right. 
Right. <laughs> Thank so goodness. So there you have it. Yeah. So what's happening, brother? What do you got in your bag of tricks today? Well, if you're a little creeped out by that and you're not sure if you're going to get in trouble, <laughs> watch out for the black-eyed children. Oh, my goodness, the black-eyed children. <laughs> ay, 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 ay. So apparently you know about these tricky little tots. Yeah, well, uh, uh, you know where we're going. We're, we're going down a road that I'm well familiar with, and these are not tricky little tots. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? These are pretty creepy, right? Super creepy. Uh, Some of these, I'm going to go through a few different accounts, and uh, a couple of them gave me chills when I was reading them. No kidding. Yeah. Now, they are nasty. And uh, when the diabolic is at work, you know, there are a lot of people out there who think, now, we're coming up on Halloween, Kev. Yeah. So at this particular time of year, and not that it doesn't happen at other times of the year, there are a lot of people out there who think there's a cool factor associated with the dark side of things. Mm. But what they don't realize is that the cool factor is temporary, because if you maintain that, your world is going to come crashing down around you. And I'll just say that and end with that. As you introduce your piece on the black-eyed toddlers. <laughs> Speaking of which, Bill, we got to make a note to start working on our Halloween episode. Yeah, you got that right. I mean, I figured I figured you were already on that, uh, but uh, yeah, no, we definitely have to have. Well, some I still ha- I still haven't recovered from last year's Salem witch trials. <laughs> I think I'm still getting letters from witches. <laughs> yeah, as long as a broomstick doesn't come buried into your bedroom window. <laughs> <laughs> ah, what the heck is that? <laughs> so let's talk about the black-eyed children. So these kids, as you know, Bill, they're they're called this because when they look at you, their entire eyes the makeup of both of their entirety of their eyes are black. Right. And we're not, we're not talking about kids that got punched in both eyes. Oh, no, no. This is the eyeball <laughs> part is completely black. Yeah, yeah. And they typically range between, you know, maybe five, six years old and maybe 17 or 18. So kind of uh, kids. Uh, yeah, yeah. Youngsters. Youngsters, yeah. Well, so they appear. Exactly, exactly. And um, they show up and they're kind of deadpan in nature. So, you know, some of the accounts we'll go through are, you know, somebody's walking back to their house in the neighborhood, maybe about eight o'clock at night, and they see a kid and uh, they walk over to see if the kid's okay. And the kid talks to them like in a really deadpan voice. Um I'd like you to take me back to your house. And, I mean, literally, that's what they're like. Let me take me to your house. Let me ride in your car. You know, something like that. And yeah. then when they look at the kid in the eyes, they see these completely black eyeballs. And yeah. it's like, whoa, whoa. Yeah, what the heck? What you the know, heck is that? And also the speech 
It's yes. almost as if they don't really know how to speak with normalcy. Exactly. Very strange. And why would that be? Well, because they're not normal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're they Abby be, normal. They would be Abby, Abby <laughs> normal. <laughs> like from Young Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which brain did you take? <laughs> the one that the jaw marked Abby normal. Abby something. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. So, so I have some accounts here, all right, that I'm going to roll through that are pretty good. So the first one goes back to 1950. So this is the oldest one I could come across, all right? All right. And it's uh, this 16-year-old boy named Harold was strolling up the street in Virginia to his home when he noticed a boy leaning on a nearby fence. Sound familiar? Yeah, just a tired paper boy resting paper from boy his route. resting on the fence. Yeah. And Harold said hello to this boy, but received no response. Hmm. So he turned to walk away, right? Not completely unheard of and this mysterious boy finally said i want to go to your home you're <laughs> going to walk me up to your house wow. <laughs> <laughs> that's when harold noticed the boy's eyes and yes they were completely black yeah what a creepy thing man yeah and this is the next theme that's common to a lot of these you know, Harold, all of his gut instincts said, run like hell, right? Uh-huh. This is a creep fest. And it was as if the boy was reading his mind. This is the commonality. The boy said, now don't you run away from me. You're going to walk me up to your house. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Oh, yeah, don't run away from me like it was reading his thoughts, you know. Exactly. And you'll hear that in a few of these accounts. Yeah, yeah. And this one's not the creepiest one. We're going to get warmed up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're in a light jog right now. We're in a light jog. Your heart rate's still down low, you know. No sweat. Easy to have a comfortable conversation. <laughs> By the way, you can stop now. <laughs> or can you? <laughs> You're going to keep listening. So Harold, he bolted, right? Like a cartoon character, right? Exit yep. stage left <laughs> up the street. <laughs> and he claimed that he heard the child let out the scream of a bobcat. But of course, he didn't even turn around to check to see what was going on behind him. Yeah, you know, that's like one of them banshee screams. You know, and some some people, even with the Bigfoot, not that this has anything to do with Bigfoot, unless we're talking about a, a demonic encounter. Yeah. But that screaming, that shrill scream yeah. uh, that people say they hear. Yeah. All right, go ahead, bro. All right. And this next one is probably the most famous encounter of the Black Eyed Children. It's from a journalist. His name is Brian Bethel of Abilene, Texas. Hmm. And, um, you know, he, 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 this happened in 1996, and Bethel was sitting in his car writing out a check that uh, he intended to drop off 
at a, you know, a local service provider that he had to pay his bill for, right? Mm-hmm. And he was startled by the sound of knocking on his window of his car, right? Great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he he, wasn't, up, he, he you know, wasn't at Burger King at the time, was he? No. <laughs> he looked up to see two kids, hey. and he couldn't figure out why, but at the same time he was looking up, like a jolt of fear ran through him. Mm-hmm. They were just Warning. kids, right? You know? Yeah. But there was something wrong with them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He cracked his window just enough to talk to them. The oldest of the two boys asked for a ride to their mother's house. Yeah. He claimed they were going to see a movie, forgot their money, and needed a ride so that they could make it back for the movie in time with their money. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't mention what movie they were going to see, did they? <laughs> they actually did. So get this. So so the movie, the, you know, this is a small town. Movie theater is right there. And uh, Bethel could read the marquee. So he asked the boys what they were going to see. And they said, Mortal Kombat. <laughs> <laughs> and Brian knew that movie had already started an hour ago. Ah. ah. So they were he, lying. Yes, and he said there was something abnormal about these boys. <laughs> the way they spoke, it just wasn't natural. And they didn't sound as young as they looked. Oh. Maybe and, they weren't. <laughs> maybe they were like a thousand years old. <laughs> maybe they were 50,000-year-old demons. Oh, <laughs> and so then they said, just let us in and we'll be gone before you know it. We'll yeah. go to our mother's house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you see, uh, this is a key. Uh, this is a key with the demonic. In these situations, this is totally unique, this black eyed children phenomenon. Yes. Uh, but what isn't unique is the fact that the demonic needs your position. Uh, permission exactly to come in yeah they can't you know satan just can't barge into you as an individual there has to be some type of invite uh knowingly or somewhat unknowingly no doubt about Um, it yeah whether most people don't just come out and say hey satan welcome in i'll open the door for you they start with something odd like the child uh, in the exorcist movie who was playing with his aunt uh, with the Ouija board. Mm. Uh, it, it can happen subtly and over a little bit of time, or it can be rather abrupt. So it's very interesting. Go ahead, Kev. I didn't mean to. All I can say is I'm glad I don't have a Ouija board in the house. Yeah, you don't, <laughs> you don't want one of them in your house. Man. It'd be a good shotgun target. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe if a demon was holding it. Yeah, you get a two-for-one with your double barrel. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so everything the older boy said to Bethel, like, just scared him. You know, it just gave him the creeps. And then he saw the pitch-black eyes staring back at him. Yeah. And then he said, come on, mister, we won't hurt you. You have to let us in. We don't have a gun. 
<laughs> oh boy, what a conversation! You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> oh sure, as long as you don't have a gun. Yeah, it's like a bad script, you know, and oh, they're reading man. it. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. They're very awkward. They don't know properly what to say uh, in the format they find themselves. You no know, doubt about it. 100%. It's like it's like they were a lower tier. Whereas, like you know, when Satan was dealing with Jesus in the desert, he was very uh, uh, well spoken, and his statements were well thought out, or so he thought uh, when he was addressing Jesus. Right? Yeah. You know, look over here. Everything that you see is mine to give, and I'll give it to you. If you'll just bow down and worship me, mm-hmm. you know he he was well thought out. He was cunning, uh, conniving, even if you will. But these demons, they're kind of dopey. They're not they're not really suited for the part. It's like they were sent out and they didn't really totally have a handle on what it was they were going to do. They knew what they want to do. Well, they may have done it differently 20,000 years ago, Bill. That's true. <laughs> That's true. When they didn't have to tap on your window and you were writing exactly. out a check. In the movie theater thing. Oh, there's <laughs> showtime? Certain times they showed the movie. Oh. <laughs> Note oh. to self. We, we didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. We got a couple more of these, all right? Go so ahead. And they get creepy, okay? Uh, yeah, yeah. This next one is about an engineer that's working the night shift in a data center. So this is in my realm. So it, maybe it's just a little extra creepy for me. Yeah. So, you know, these data centers, folks, if you're not familiar with them, you know, they got a ton of uh, computer equipment in them, websites, etc., where everything's basically connected together inside of this building. And then different uh, service providers, businesses, etc., reach into the data center to get to the information, right? So basically, the, the, the net of it is there's very few people, if any, inside of this building. And security is very tight. So in the middle of the night, There's this engineer, and he's working the night shift in the data center. This happened in Ohio. Okay. And he ran into some of these black-eyed children. In the data center? Well, trying to get into the data center. So these data centers have cameras and sensors everywhere, right? Right, Because they're a target for, uh, you know, bad bad people trying to get in and cause havoc, right? There's right. just so much data there. Um, right. So so this happened, it says, around 5 a.m. on July 31st, 2010, so about 20 years ago. And this person was taking a smoke break outside of the data center, right? You definitely can't smoke in the data center. Fire is like the enemy. You can't even make popcorn because it actually sets off the... Uh, the smoke alarms, the, the smoke sensors. They're not even smoke alarms. Right, right. Uh, fire sensors. Sorry, couldn't find that word. And he noticed two teenage boys standing motionlessly staring at him from across the street. Great. So he felt a little nervous, and he finished his cigarette, and he went back inside. So 10 minutes later... The intercom buzzes on the outside door. 
Hmm. He looks up, looks at the monitors, right, because there's monitors all over the place, and the two boys from across the street had made their way over to his building and were now staring into the surveillance camera like they could actually see him through it. Wow. So kind of looking the wrong way through a surveillance camera. Yeah, yeah, like they, there he is. Yes. And through the speaker, he asked what they wanted. They said nothing, but motioned for him to come outside. He hit the speaker button again and told them to go away. They didn't leave, but continued to stare into the camera as if they were watching him as he worked. Hmm. After a short while, he went to the door to chase them off. So right before opening the door, he saw them through the one-way glass and was horrified to see their eyes. Mm. They were completely black. He knew he had to open up the door to tell them to go away, and he decided he'd call the police if he had to. Wow. And again, Bill, as if the boys could read his mind, the moment the door opened, he said, that will not be necessary, sir. We simply need to use your phone. Can you let us in? Mm. <laughs> oh, man. Well, did this guy end up calling the cops? Yeah, so he pulled out his cell phone and threatened to call the police if they didn't leave. He made sure the door was locked and went back to the monitor. Only one boy was still there staring at the camera. Then he realized the second boy positioned himself out back and was staring into a different camera there. Again, looking through the camera as if he could see him. Wow, it's like they were surrounding him. Yes. You know, uh, and who knows? We don't know how big the building was or how quickly. Oh, they're big. They're big. Yeah, so how did this other one get around back so quick? Yeah, exactly. Wow. I mean, some of these I go in up in Ashburn, Virginia, are like a million square foot. They're big. Yeah, they're They're huge, man. So by 6 a.m., he's watching the cameras and stuff. And then both boys had moved into a blind spot around the building where there was no camera coverage. Okay. So he waited for them to reappear, and but no sign of them. The police arrived not long after, but both boys were gone. Mm. I don't know. For me, I thought that was pretty creepy. Yeah, well, you know, the guy, uh, you know, like you say, Skeleton crew at best in this building will assume it was very large. Uh, but I, it, the way the story comes off is as if this guy was alone. Oh, he would be alone, typically. Yeah. Maybe two security guards, you know, one sitting there and one walking around inside the building. Yeah. You know, yeah. Cause, just seeing uh, if something's going wrong. Yeah. What a freaking creepy thing. Now, you know, it makes you think in each one of these accounts – uh, what their subtle plan is uh, <laughs> once invited into the car or into the building to well, use like the phone. Well, like in this case, Bill, they just wanted to use his phone. Right, right. <laughs> Make a couple of... Checking on the th- movie theater schedule. Yes, I need to check on the time of Mortal Kombat. <laughs> Can I borrow your phone to call Movie Line? 
<laughs> oh my All god. Right, and our last story is the creepiest. Oh my goodness. And it starts out, okay. 18-year-old Karis Holdsworth was heading home to her apartment after a night out. It was just before 11 p.m. She noticed there were two teenager boys she'd never seen before just standing in her yard. This put her on edge a bit, of course. So she Mm -hmm. reached into her purse to make sure her pepper spray was readily available. Mm. With her firm grip on her only weapon, she attempted to sneak past them unnoticed. But she wasn't so lucky. They both Ah. turned simultaneously. She instantly felt a primal terror and gripped the canister still in her purse. As if they knew what was hiding in her bag and what she was thinking, the older one said, No need for that. We just want to borrow your phone, miss. Boy, oh boy. It was then that Holdsworth (laughs) noticed their eyes. Pitch black. No white at all. She felt Uh. her flight response kick into gear and she darted for the door, fumbling for her keys as the black-eyed boys followed her. Oh, please, miss, my mother won't be happy if she doesn't know where we are. Yeah, and you know, they're not in a hurry. No. It's not like they bum rush you. No emotion. Yeah. No, they just kind of walk over like they keep pressing. They're just trying, Uh, like, don't give up. Just keep saying it. Keep giving her reasons, right? Right, right. So she says every instinct in her knew she had to get away from them. Part of her felt a twinge of guilt. I'm thinking that was for an instant. <laughs> yeah, not for long. But that, yeah, she said that was feeling, that, that was buried quickly in a deep sense of dread that was steadily washing over her. She made it inside, slammed the door shut, and locked it. With a sigh of relief, she headed to her kitchen, but then came the knock. Oh, boy. She decided to ignore it. They knocked again. And that feeling of dread began to make its way through her body. She decided she'd be brave and do a peek through the peephole. There they were, staring at her through the peephole, like they could see inside. Mm -hmm. Just let us use the phone. We won't hurt you. We have no weapons to hurt you with. Unbelievable. (laughs) (laughs) Holdsworth ordered them to leave her alone. She made sure everything was locked tight and called a friend to come over. The boys didn't leave until the friend showed up who felt the same overpowering sense of danger. When they came to the property. Yeah. Holdsworth soon moved away after that. And now always checks her peephole before opening the door. Hmm. (laughs) Now, I got to ask you, Kevin, your opinion. uh, If you were just knew nothing about any of the things I talk about, the demonic, uh, the satanic, all this stuff. If you knew nothing about that uh, or thought it was all rubbish, what would you think of what would you think the reason would be? that these uh, black-eyed kids targeted these individuals. Why them? Uh, They're probably uh, weak in some way and vulnerable. 
right? They sense some type of vulnerability in their uh, spiritual makeup that yep. they were good targets. Exactly. Kind of like a pickpocket, right? They're looking for some type of uh Yeah, something behavior. distracted or whatever. Yeah. Right. To put the bump on and lift their wallet, you know? Yeah. Boy, I tell you, man, those... Those suckers come to my house, it's going to be like Kung Fu Theater in the front yard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be jacking those two little bastards around like rag dolls. I'd be like, did you hear that <laughs> click? That wasn't the lock. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't have pepper spray, but I got something else you'd be interested in. I got something else that'll fly through this door. <laughs> So these, uh, these stories <laughs> that I just went through, these last few stories, they come from uh, the website Ranker, and uh, a woman put them together called Lyra Radford. So I uh, just want to give her credit because super creepy, this assembly of these stories. Yeah, excellent job, Lila. Uh, I actually, uh, a long time ago, uh, I heard the story about the fella in the car writing the check with them tapping on the Yeah, that's the most famous one. You'll see that everywhere from Abilene, Texas. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, and some of these things, uh, that one from the 50s. Now, we're talking a story that's 70 years old now. Yep. So some of these things seem to come in and out of our realm. Uh, I don't want to say they're on schedule, but... It, it, it's it's an odd happening, you know. And again, we have to say to ourselves, how many people have had, had a happening with these uh, uh, or an incident with these black-eyed children uh, that we'll never know about? Yeah, and by the way, so these go, we won't be able to fully get into it here, but these, when I was researching these black-eyed children, some of them are described, or, or one theory is that they're what's called a changeling. Have you heard of these creatures, Bill? Changelings? Yeah, <laughs> yeah excuse me. It's just another form of the demonic where exactly, they can, It's exactly. almost like a shapeshifter. Exactly, but they go way back in time. You know, yep. over in Europe, like one of them uh, is an Irish legend where a fairy child will appear uh, in the place of someone's like newborn child. So it's like the demons swap out a newborn child for this changeling. Right, And this changeling, though, has some notable physical characteristics, like long teeth. Nice. Yeah. You know, for eating for eating baby food. Exactly. So, like, you know, that you have these changelings that are switched out, and you know, one of these theories is some of these black-eyed children are some form of changeling, but no doubt about it, you know, some kind of demonic thing. Super yeah, and they're trying they're trying to get in with the human race. Yeah, they're somehow trying to. Who knows what would happen if you invited them in? What would then happen? Yeah. Uh, in all of these accounts, all we know is that they were uh, thwarted off uh, and they were uninvited by uh, the the four accounts that we, we spoke about or you spoke about. Yeah, I'll show you. Uh, well, I'll put one of these paintings, famous uh, old paintings of the Changeling encounter up on our website. And in this, it it shows... Like a husband maybe comforting his wife who's in bed, 
and next to them, and this is an ancient painting, next to them is a little, uh, uh, what do you call it, Bill, like the wooden cradle, you know, before a crib, like the little rocking cradle, I guess. Yeah, that's yeah. it. It's just a rocking cradle. Yeah, and, uh, and there's a demonic, you know, devil creature lifting the baby out of the, the cradle, and in the cradle is this little baby, but the baby has horns. Nice. Yeah, and it's the legend of St. Stephen. Yeah, it's, oh, it says uh, 15th century painting. Mm-hmm. So I'll put that up. And if you ever want to be creeped out, you just look at that. I recommend not looking at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not exactly uh, something you want, you know, hanging in your living room. <laughs> no, say. I won't be looking for the print. <laughs> So that's it, uh, Bill. I said I was going to creep you out. I creeped myself out, I know. Yeah, uh, you know, and Kev, you were right. Uh, I think of all of them. Uh, first of all, I feel bad for the woman. Yeah. Uh, because to me, women are a little more vulnerable. Absolutely, yeah. But uh, that guy in that building at night. Oh, yeah, that's th- that creeped me out. But I didn't know if it was yeah. just because it strikes close to home for me, you know. Now, it's creepy because, you know, I'm thinking inside there is some lighting, but more illumination from the oh, it's computer dark. terminals. It's dark you know, like they're trying to keep everything cool, so energy is right. really important, you know. Yeah. They usually have some kind of funky lighting in them, which is, you know, half marketing, half energy conservation, you know. But yeah. the, but the yeah. way he described them looking through the camera as if they could see him watching them. So kind of looking the wrong way through the yep. video surveillance camera. I just thought that was so creepy. Yeah, absolutely. You know, just uh, like they sensed that he was watching him uh, through that camera. They felt the energy, you exactly. know. Exactly. Wow, that is really a creep fest, man. <laughs> the black-eyed children. And yes, we are going to do a Halloween show, so... Uh, Stay tuned for that, folks. Well, Kev, thanks a lot for your uh, your research into that creep fest. And <laughs> I think I'm going to continue the creep fest here. Nice. With uh, an interesting story uh, told to me by a fellow named Ralph Andrews, who, believe it or not, had just turned 98 years old. At the time of the interview. Now, this is Ralph's childhood memory of an event that occurred at Ten Mile Lake. Having run across your query, Bill, for people who had encountered Bigfoot in their lifetime, I thought that I would contact you and add my encounter into the record books before I am no longer able to do so. I guess as I begin, I should tell you that in that day and time, I had never heard of and neither was there any talk whatsoever about the creature that is now called Bigfoot. Of course, I don't have to tell you that our only form of media at the time was our home radio and the newspaper, which was nothing compared to what we have today. The local library was our only source of any educational materials, and if they didn't have it on the shelf, you couldn't learn about it. 
We were living at the time outside of Detroit proper, which is nothing like the Detroit of today. Where we lived was rural farm country, open fields and woods. My dad and I would always spend a fair amount of time fishing in some local ponds and lakes. And at some point after the war, he had decided to take a breather and head up north for a trip into Canada. It was to be my father and me, as well as Mr. Nance and his son Paul, who was my friend at the time. I remember we flew out of Detroit on a twin-engine prop plane to Manitoulin Island near a place called Gore Bay. From there, we caught a ride on a Fairchild float plane, which was an incredible experience in and of itself. The pilot took us and our guide up north, landing on Ten Mile Lake, where we would stay for the week. I still have the brochure from the outfitter, and I thought that I would share a few things that they had advertised at the time with you. Sportsmen come from all over the world to fish in northern Ontario's remote lakes and streams. No other area provides such a wide variety of real fishing. Whether you wet or dry cast, troll, plug, spoon, or just polefish, you will find these waters productive of trout, bass, pike, muskies, and panfish. Three to five pound trout are common and not the exception. Now, as a young boy from Detroit, my eyes lit up when I read this, as you could well imagine. The two dads had decided that we were going to rough it a little bit and booked what was called a crude cabin for the week. We had been introduced to our guide for the week, whose name was Mr. Mike. I asked my dad why Mr. Mike had come along with us, and he said that Canadian law required a licensed guide to be with everyone for their safety. We had a boat with an outboard motor and two canoes waiting for us at the cabin. I remember there was a small wooden bulkhead with three steps leading up out of the lake, and the cabin was basically a bare-boned shed with no insulation and some kerosene lanterns hanging from the ceiling for lighting. There was a nice-sized fire pit outside and a small outhouse in the back. The cabin had a really neat stone fireplace, and there was enough wood for a year stacked and split outside. The day after our arrival, we took the motorboat out for a little tour around part of the lake. We did a little sightseeing, and in a couple of spots, we actually ran the boat ashore and did a little hiking around with Mr. Mike. One of the things that I remember most was the complete and utter silence of the forest. It was something that you never forget, especially in the hustle and bustle of today's world. Late that afternoon, we got into some muscalunge that were in the neighborhood of 15 to 20 pounds and fought like the Dickens. During the next several days, we had done some serious fishing on the lake and were having a really good time. However, I think it was on the fifth day where we had a mishap and things took a strange turn. On that day, we had taken the two canoes out and were maybe only a few hundred yards from the camp, possibly only 75 feet from the shore. 
paddling along at a fairly good clip when we started to hear some noises coming from the woods. These noises were accompanied by what sounded like something crashing through the woods that was keeping pace with us. The noises themselves sounded like something going whoop, 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 and were fairly loud. Keep in mind that I told you how deathly silent the trip had been up until this point. We stopped paddling, and everyone was looking and listening intently. When we had stopped, all of the sounds came to an abrupt halt, and we just sat there. I remember Mr. Mike saying, I wonder what that was. So if he didn't know what it was, we, as sure as shooting, didn't know either. We then all began to paddle again, and the noises started up as quickly as they had stopped. It was then that a large splash happened right next to our canoe, causing my dad to jump, flipping the canoe. All of our gear was now in the lake, and so were we. Mr. Mike came to our aid in the other canoe, and we gradually held one canoe and moved towards the lake's edge, where we could empty it out of the water and get organized again. The only thing was that we were now heading towards all of the noises that we had been hearing while paddling. I have to tell you now that I was quite frightened at the time. Being in the water which was cold and heading towards the shoreline, which was nothing more than solid, dense brush. When we made it to the edge, it wasn't that shallow. It was still maybe three feet deep, and we were confronted with almost impenetrable brush. Nevertheless, we fought our way out of the water, riding the canoe and getting back in. We were already pretty damn cold and had to make it back to the cabin pronto. As we were paddling away from the shore, we saw floating in the water a small section of log, which we now realized was what had made the huge splash. And yet none of us had seen it hit the water. I vividly remember the adults saying to each other, Where did this come from? Mr. Mike took the log and flung it towards the shore, saying that logs floating around on the lake can damage the outboard's propeller. I don't think it was 30 seconds after Mr. Mike had thrown the log towards the shore that the woods where we had just been flipping the canoe over erupted with these whooping sounds, and chunks of wood started flying out of the canopy of the forest, splashing all around us in our canoes. We started paddling violently to get away from the shore in this bombardment. It sounded like there was an army of whooping creatures going crazy in the trees, and we could see nothing. We must have paddled several hundred feet away, and these logs were still being thrown into the water. It reminded me of an Indian war party from an old western. We then started to change direction, making our way back to the cabin and what we believed would be safety. As soon as we had made it back, the fire was stoked up, and we sat around it with blankets on to warm up and allow our clothes to begin drying. That afternoon and evening, we were sitting around and talking about what had transpired on the lake, and we could tell that Mr. Mike was deeply troubled by the event. I can say it now, 
I think that everyone was glad that tomorrow would be our last day. But our trouble wasn't over, because what happened that night was terrifying. We were all asleep when suddenly the cabin was being pelted with what sounded like rocks hitting the roof and sides. And then the screaming and the roaring started. It sounded like we were being attacked by the hounds from hell. It was then that one side of the cabin started to flex inward, and I thought it would come tumbling down at any moment. Mr. Mike pulled out his revolver and told us to all stand to one side as he fired six rounds randomly through the side of the cabin in succession, after which he reloaded and commenced to do the same again. After the salvos had ended, we could hear that the screaming was retreating away from the cabin, and nothing was pushing in on the wall anymore. For the rest of the night, not another thing was heard or done in or near the cabin. I don't think that I need to tell you, Bill. We didn't so much as close an eye for the rest of the night. The following day, the float plane had arrived right on time and we couldn't wait to load it up and get the heck out of there. On the flight back, which was quite noisy, Mr. Mike and my dad were shouting back and forth about what he thought had attacked us so violently. Mr. Mike said that he had no idea and had never experienced or heard of such a thing in all his years being a guide. It wasn't until many years later, after having heard about Bigfoot, that it became my opinion we had been attacked by them that, uh, that night and day on the lake. Some of the pieces of the wood that had been hurled at us on the lake had to have been thrown a couple of hundred feet and weighed 10 or 20 pounds. No band of unknown or rogue people could have done such a thing, and no human was capable of screaming with the ferocity and volume that we heard that night when the cabin was under siege. It was the most frightening experience of my life. What do you think of that, Kevin? Talk about a creep fest. Reminds me, it's another one that reminds me of Ape Canyon, right? You know. Ape Canyon. Going in there. I mean, fortunately, Mr. Mike threw 12 pieces of lead through the wall. Yeah. Maybe full bang, metal bang, jacket bang. or hollow points. Yeah, the eagle equalizer. Yeah. I don't think they had hollow points back then. Uh, so you don't think it was woodchucks throwing the wood? Yeah. <laughs> hey, you woodchucks, hey. quit chucking out wood. Yeah. Yeah. No woodchucks. But, you know. It reminded me, it brought me back to the uh, story, The Fight, Kev. Yeah, yeah. That was another Canadian lake, guys just enjoying the great fishing when the woods erupted and those two beasts came tumbling down on the shore. Yeah. So uh, there's... uh, And that's a pretty rural place up in Ontario. You're taking a float plane up there to get there. Like, I'll look it up on the map. I haven't looked it up yet. Um, But, yeah, pretty rural up there. Yeah, and you're talking, this man was 98 years old. Mm. This was after the war. We're talking, what, late 40s, 50s? Yep. It was a whole different world back then. True, true. And uh, interesting, uh, 
You know, I think I mentioned in the last podcast, if I didn't, I'll mention to it again. I was talking to this fellow who was a moose uh, guide uh, up in uh, northern Saskatchewan, Alberta. Uh, I don't know. I'm confused. But, you know, and he had seen a Sasquatch walking along a cut in the woods. And it just made me think, you know, how many people in those parts would even ever be in position to possibly see one? I mean, it's like no man's land. Not a lot of people. And by the way, like you were saying, how different it must be, you know, going all the way back there after World War II. I mean, some of those parts in northern Canada, Bill, I, I would venture to say they haven't changed much. You know, there's nobody up no, there. It's the same thing. Same thing, yeah. It's just like wilderness that's always been and and will be. Yeah. You know, it's there's nobody there. No. Just the animals that live there. Right. When you come in there, you are just like that's why some people say like you said when you were up there with those bears, the guide told you these bears don't even know who you are. Right. They don't even know human scent in some of those places. Right. He was like they don't I never had to pull a gun on them cuz they don't yeah. care about you. Yeah. They're here to eat salmon. and uh, Yeah, we were cooking bacon one morning, and I thought, like, oh, my God, like, you know, this is going to be a problem, right? You know, bears, food. And we saw a huge brown bear came walking through our camp, uh, you know, as big as the back of a pickup truck. And uh, I was like, what the hell? You know, I said to the guide, and uh, he's like, they don't, they don't know our food up here. It's like they don't, they don't know what bacon is. If they did, wow. we'd be in trouble. <laughs> it's crazy, yeah, right? It is crazy, but you figure you don't learn that bacon's bacon until you have some, and you're like, bacon's good. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Otherwise, to them, it's probably just a very strong smell. Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Wow, that is crazy. Great, great account, though, Bill. That's uh, I, I like too how you know we contrast it with today, where he was describing at that time, you know, um, of course there was no knowledge of Bigfoot, Sasquatch, but either you heard it on the radio, or you read it in the newspaper, or you read it in a book from the library. That was it. Yeah, and uh, you know the libraries even back then. Uh, there wasn't a fraction oh, of no. the books that we have today. No. You know, and I remember going in the library as a kid and all of the covers, people, you know, if you're a young person listening to our podcast, <clears throat> there was a time when everything was very uniform. Remember the old magazines, Kev? They had this very drab, plain kind of yeah. print in them. Yeah. Uh, the paper wasn't as we see it today. Uh, the drawings were pretty much black and white. Yeah. L- little like artist sketches of uh, a hunting scene every couple of pages. It was nothing like you see today, uh, uh, folks that are listening. Uh, you went in a library. All of the book covers were kind of drab. But you didn't know anything else. That's That's the way it was. Yeah. You know, you didn't pick up a copy of Bigfoot Terror in the Woods with these shadowy photographs on the cover done in a matte finish. You know, there was nothing like that. But uh, interesting, though, this old geezer mm. uh, reminiscing about the scare of his life. Yeah, great to have somebody uh, send something like that in. So fantastic. Yeah, Ten Mile Lake. Yeah. 
Awesome. Great account, Bill. Yep. Cool. So what do we got, Kev? Yeah, so we got some good listener mail. Um, but before we go straight into that, uh, last week or the week before, somebody wrote in and said that uh, in response to the uh, uh, investigation that I talked about in Port Chatham uh-huh. um, up in Alaska, you know, the mysterious village, Port Lock, Alaska, or Port Chatham, Alaska, where everyone vanished one night, just took off left their belongings behind. They said that there was a uh, documentary on Amazon about it. And I watched it. So uh, this week, I think settled down on the work front a little bit, and I watched it. It's about 90 minutes long. It's pretty well done. It's worth watching. The Mm -hmm. scenery is spectacular. So Mm -hmm. uh, it was cool. It reminded me of being in Alaska. I'm basically... They uh, set off on a boat from the town of Homer, Alaska, which is often called Land's End, right? Like at one of the tips of the peninsulas of the western part of Alaska. And then they anchor off of the little village of Port Chatham, or what used to be the village of Port Chatham. And then they go ashore several different times on a little boat and uh, look around. They set some game cameras and things like that. And they have some encounters, so I won't give the whole thing away. But, you know, the thing that was disappointing about it was it seemed like they only spent a total of about three days uh, going into the shore. So they're all the way up there doing this uh, research, this documentary, and they go ashore about three times. And every night before the sun goes down, they head back to the boat. Now, of course, it's long days in Alaska, so you don't know what time it is. But they right. sleep on the boat offshore, okay. which is probably when a lot of the craziness would go down, right? Yeah, so you're saying they should be willing to stay around and have their limbs I think, off. well, you know, be armed, <laughs> you know, maybe like a, a Gatling gun, a couple of Gatling guns, you know, the modern ones, of course, mm-hmm. that fire like 20,000 rounds a second or whatever right. um, around the camp. Maybe ones that yeah, are yeah. set to auto-fire. Excuse me, sir. <laughs> we don't mean any harm. Can Could we use your satellite radio? Can you give us a ride back to your boat? <laughs> Certainly. Come on in, you little black-eyed bastard. Thank you for writing in about that. It was cool. Again, our listeners out there, I, I, I don't get any compensation from Amazon. Um, but it, it was worth watching. The scenery spectacular, and it does give you a feel for, you know, the ruralness that is out there. And they do go through this village that's completely overgrown, and uh, you do get a feeling of, and some of the buildings are still there, but, you know, not even a, a path in sight, like completely overgrown. Pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, and like you said, uh uh, the buildings are still standing. There's equipment laying around over there. Uh, everything's overgrown. Yeah. But it's just amazing that, you know, you know, the fish didn't dry up over there. That wasn't why they no, left. No, and by the way, they actually, in the evening, they would go out on the boat and they were catching halibut, uh, like one after the other, right off of the uh, boat. Yeah, no doubt. Good eating, too. Good eating, yeah. Cool. Wow, that's great. Yep. Yeah, so, so our, there we have... Yeah, first first letter comes in from Sue in uh, Rhode Island. 
and she says, I just started listening to the podcast about a week ago, and I've been listening every chance I get. I was just wondering what got you interested enough in Bigfoot to start writing books and to do a podcast. Love the show. You're both amazing. So what do you, yeah, what do you, you say, Bill? T- well, two things. First of all, we could... Uh, I find this phenomena to be freaking outlandish. And uh, it just invites you in. And I'm speaking for myself. Yeah. It just invites you in. It's intriguing. Uh, you know, I don't care how old you are. Who doesn't have an interest in monsters? Hmm. You know, I do. I mean, I used to buy Monster Magazine and read about uh, Frankenstein and all this stuff. But this is a real-life creature, uh, and I'm absolutely fascinated uh, by what's out there and the stories that people have to tell. Now, as far as the podcast goes, uh, let's just tell the viewers what happened between me and you, Kev. Yeah. Uh, A while ago... Uh, Kevin mentioned to me something to the effect like, you know, Bill, I can't believe how like well-received you've been with these books. Kind of like I thought you were going to fall on your face <laughs> or, or the people were going to laugh you out of the, out of the, uh, uh, out of the house, you know? And, uh, then you kind of said to me, Kev, right? I, I, I wish I had something to get involved with kind of like you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I said, you should do a podcast, Bill. Like, And then uh, Bill flipped it back on me and said, you know, you should, you're the tech guy. You can help me with the podcast. And I said, yeah, I'll, I'll help you get the podcast going. And then he said, no, no, like you could be in the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, you know, you just never know. You, you know, somebody's got a plan, but it might not be you, you know. Um, <laughs> So, so Sue, that's how we got started, and it's been a lot of fun. I mean, this is uh, we're recording our 65th episode, which is shocking. And when we first started, I honestly thought no one would listen, not because it wasn't interesting, but it's just kind of, you know, how do you get the word out there? And and I mean, there's a bazillion podcasts, you know, uh, out there. So. You know, maybe my family would listen. Maybe my family wouldn't even listen. <laughs> you know, and now we got <laughs> we got a bazillion listeners. We have all of you, thank goodness, writing in and giving us tips and giving us stories and accounts, just giving us support. And then this COVID thing hit, and uh, you know, a lot of people write in and say it's helping to keep them sane. It's helping to keep us sane too. You know, (laughs) and then finally, you know, the cool part is, is my brother and I, we live a long way away from one another, but we get to spend at least an hour, hour and a half, two hours every week on the video conference going through uh, this podcast, which is kind of fun. Yeah. And the other thing that's really cool, Kev, is, uh, you know, the people uh, I meet along the way. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's an incredible journey, folks. You know, as you know, I write these books and I've done a lot of interviews. I'll probably do a lot more. I meet a lot of people, have conversations with people that otherwise I never would have known or spoken to. And uh, it's an encouragement to me, uh, all the good and 
uh, hardy individuals that are out there, uh, both globally and uh, in the North American continent that I get to talk to. Uh, it gives me hope. I tell you, Kev, it gives me hope. There's a lot of good people out there. Yeah, no doubt about it. No doubt about so it. So there you have it. Yep. Good stuff. All right. Well, thanks, Sue. Thanks for the for the note from Rhode Island. And get out there and see if there's a hairy man in that little state up there. Uh, <laughs> the next note comes in from Thomas. And, uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, it comes from Ken. Um, wait, I'm all mixed up here. It's Thomas. Thomas all writes right. in and says, uh, we love your show. We just happened to find your podcast on the Paranormal Network, and it turned out to be the best show we've ever listened to. My wife and I just love your stories and your humor, especially when Kevin did Cousin It from the Adams Family. (laughs) (laughs) They said you're both so talented, and the stories you tell are scarier than hell, especially today. Keep up the good work. Your friends from Bowmansville, New York. Wow. Yeah, good stuff. And I'll tell you what, uh, uh, Marlene, if you're listening, a uh, big shout out to you. I think, Thomas, I did that interview with Marlene uh, a while ago, and I think she's with the Paranormal Network. So uh, Thomas cool. must have queued up that and uh, came over to us for a hearty hello. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, yeah. So it's good. Uh, we're all interconnected. And Marlene was a really uh, special lady down there in the uh, Everglades of Florida. Cool. Yeah, very cool. And Thomas, we're so glad to uh, have you on board. And tell your friends. Tell your friends and tell your enemies. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Bill. Well, that's it this week. Some uh, great cryptids with the black-eyed children. And a great account from that 90-year-old talking about his childhood encounter on 10 Mile Lake. So, folks, the great reviews keep coming in. Thank you so much. I mean, I'm serious. Like, the reviews are fantastic that we're getting. So if you haven't left a five-star review yet, please do. And if you haven't left one in a week or two, leave us another one. So, uh, uh, But th- seriously, thank you very much for those five-star reviews. They're really important because the more five-star reviews we get, the more folks are attracted to the podcast and come in and listen. And as we get more listeners, we're able to improve the quality of the podcast as well. So thank you so much and be safe out there. That's right. And if you didn't leave a review, I'm coming for you. (laughs) By the way, folks, if you're walking up to your front door this week, and two little chaps approach you, asking you if they can use your phone. Remember, this is just one more reason to always carry more gun than you think you're gonna need. Sleep tight. (laughs) 